Welcome to the Bible and Me podcast from Precept UK. Being a Christian charity based here in the UK focused on helping you to know God deeply to live differently, we have discussions with some of the greatest modern men and women of God about how their relationship with God's Word, the Bible, has transformed their lives. If you are encouraged by any of the messages in this podcast, it would help us out enormously if you could leave us a review. Or better yet, get involved with God's Word for yourself at precept.org.uk. The opinions and views shared in this podcast do not necessarily reflect that of Precept UK. Now, without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode. Well, hi, folks. Uh, I am delighted to welcome a Mr. John Stockley to the programme today, the podcast today. John is originally from South Wales, but now is firmly embedded living in North Wales. He's worked for the government in finance and education. He now works for Christian Vision for Men as its national director for Kimru or Wales. When he's not speaking at men's events, he can be found in Snowdonia or wild swimming. I have to think that he's completely crazy, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, While swimming in the sea, or maybe even simply enjoying a coffee with his mates. John is a big rugby fan and has re- recently got more interested in football with Wales, reaching their first World Cup in his lifetime. John is an avid reader. He loves music, the Welsh language and culture. He is married to Joanne and they together have a son called Kieran. So, John, welcome to the, the, the Bible and Me podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. It's really good to, uh, to have this time with you. Wonderful. Now, John, first question. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? And why do you follow him? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I had the immense privilege, um, and I do count it an immense privilege, of being brought up in a Christian home. So... I was literally born into a very Christian family. Um, my father worked in pharmaceuticals when I was born up to, the age, up to the age of seven. So when I was seven, he then became a Baptist minister in, in a Valley's Baptist church. So we, we made the, uh, the journey across from, um, from Morriston, uh, which is um, uh, in, in Swansea, across to... Uh, come Rumney, the Rumney Valley, um, and that's where I spent the rest of my childhood. My father was a Baptist minister, so that meant uh, we, we we were firmly embedded in a church, in a very valleys-type church. It was still relatively the centre of the community at that point, um, which I'm probably giving my age away a bit there. Um, but um, but it was on the edge of coming out of that, and other things were becoming more important. So for me, being a being a Christian just felt like it was a cultural thing. It wasn't really a decision that I had to make until I reached the age of 14. And we had a, a week-long mission in our church. Uh, we're only a small church and we were reaching out to the whole of the village. And uh, on a Tuesday night of that week, a Venezuelan guy got up uh, into the pulpit and he, he, he preached. Now, now um, I'm going to say this very respectfully. He had good English but he didn't have a wide expanse of English. And, uh, but the one thing he could nail on that night was, I know Jesus loves you because he gave his life for you. And he kept on repeating that sentence. That was the only sentence from the whole of his sermon that I actually remember. But I tell you what, that one sentence kept on hitting me and hitting me. It was like, do you remember when we were kids, or I, certainly in, in my yeah. school anyway, 
you, you, you get your, you get your fists, you, oh boys, you poke your one finger yes. out and you hit people in the solar plexus and they'd go down. They'd like literally, they'd fall to the crown to make <laughs> you feel like you were Superman. Um, but spiritually, that's what that sentence kept on doing to me. It kept hitting me and hitting me and hitting me. I burst into tears in the middle of that sermon and get this, right? I carried on crying until the very moment that I gave my life to Jesus, which was probably about three hours later. I could not stop crying in all that time. I had a, oh, I had a vicious headache and it was horrible. I mean, I was only 14 years old. I yeah. felt like I was completely um, destitute. Um, and I gave my life to Jesus on that night. And wow. um, I've gone through a bit of a journey since then. And and I, I, you know, I'm a passionate guy. I'm, whatever I, I, I'm into, I'm into like full on. Um, and, and for lots of my life, I've been really full on for Jesus. There's been moments when, um, when, when I've really struggled. Um, but I'll I, I tell you this, that in every moment where I feel like I've really needed Jesus, he's been there mm. and he's helped me through those difficult moments, whether that is personal moments family moments or whatever he has always been there and you ask the question why do i follow jesus now yeah because i think he's the only one who's ever consistently told me the truth he's the only one who has never ever lied to me and i know i know that the promise he made to me on that tuesday night when i finally stopped crying and gave in and said jesus i give my life to you I know that on that night he said, I'll be with you and I'll bring you home at the very end. Mm -hmm. And I know that that promise is as true today as it ever was and will be forever. He's never lied to me. So for me, I asked the question, why wouldn't I keep on following him? Because he's the only one I've ultimately been able to trust yeah. without ever doubting. If that makes sense? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely fantastic. What an amazing story right there 14 years old um yes. and just a Ven i mean who would have thought a venezuelan guy god, god used a venezuelan guy to speak to your heart and mind and just break you and then come to that point of total submission age 14 absolutely uh, he got up on a pulpit so so I, I i'm guessing spanish isn't it back to venezuela spanish yeah. so yeah. spanish is his first language he's speaking english which he's mastering at that moment in time and he greets us all in welsh yeah. so three languages you know amazing absolutely yeah. fantastic praise god and what a what a wonderful reason to follow him amen yeah. to that amen to that now you grew up in south wales as you mentioned and uh, you went to yeah. uh, forgive my um if i pronounce I've only, them, ever, I've only given you these these names so that i can uh, i can have a good laugh as you pronounce <laughs> no i'm joking i am joking it's bed, it's bed uh, welsh tea i did do i did do my first ever tour in the army having been commissioned was with the royal regiment of wales ah oh so yeah. I, I you yeah. know st you david's day st david's day leaks all that stuff um, practically welsh <laughs> my wife molly is is like an eighth welsh she, she, uh, gwendolyn gwitherwo roberts i think her great great grandmother was or something like Proper that welsh name as well Proper eh? welsh. Now, you grew up in South Wales going to Bedwelty Comprehensive? Yeah, Bedwelty, yeah. Okay. Um, what are your memories of, of school, family life? I mean, you know, 
were you were brilliant sportsman, musician, or just sort of run of the mill? What what was what was your what are your sort of childhood memories of that? Yeah, so so I, I was um, I had a really a really good time growing up in um, the, the village that I came from is called Aberbargod, um, and we were a very tight tight knit community. So here's the thing, right? I'm I'm in school and growing up just as um, uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher wins her, her second term in as prime minister and the whole Thatcherism thing starts to gain momentum and yeah. um, I'm, I'm living in a mining village. So I think you probably understand I do. Now, I you do. know uh, um, where we're at. And, yeah. and so uh, my early memories were, uh, we had a, an amazing, um, an amazing um, upbringing. Uh, we lived in an amazing place. Every dad in the village worked because that was the way it was. And then suddenly, yep. lots of dads didn't work. And yes. ironically, my father was a Baptist minister, so he was one of the few guys who did work yes. for a while afterwards, not for long, uh, because obviously then there was nobody giving to the church anymore because the church just became a, a place of, of mass unemployment, you know, that, that was the congregation. So, so, th so there, were, there were quite historical things happening when I was, when I was growing up, but we, we were a bunch of guys, there was probably about six or seven of us uh, boys who used to hang out with each other. We, we, we experimented, we explored, we did everything together. We grew up together. We were really tight and, yeah. um, and, and that was fine. But I was the only one in that group that came from a Christian family. So I did go through a bit of a stage where that gave me a bit of an identity crisis. And I kind of wanted to prove myself to, to everyone around me. Sure. That meant I would try and swear more than everyone else. I'll try to do more than everyone else. And it was like, it was, it was just, um, um, it was appalling really, to be fair. <laughs> ringleader of the poker team in, in school. Um, which, I, which, interestingly, that gave me another uh, a, a moment which was really um, um, seismic in my, in my life because the, the night after, Wednesday morning after I became a Christian, I walked into school and everyone sat in, in, in registration. We'd sit at the back away from the teacher. Our teachers would just take the, the approach. If we were quiet, then, then he would just leave us to, to get... We'd play poker in the corner yeah. and we'd play poker with each other's dinner money. And, um, and I walked in and they said, oh, John, are you going to come and play poker with us? And I said, no, no, I'm not going to, not playing now anymore. I'm not, that, that's, that's, I'm not that person anymore. I've become a Christian, I have. And I was expecting them all to be really happy for me. But I tell you what, that just alienated me for a period of time. But yeah, um, they gave me a taste of, of what it yeah. looks like if we're going to actually stand out as, as being different. Um, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't recommend it to be that... Um, that dramatic the following morning and give yourself a little bit of space uh, and grow into it but I did that and um I didn't, I didn't lose any friends out of it which was no, amazing um so uh, making a stand yeah yeah so I made a stand really early on um yeah and um yeah so so good. life good, good, good. was really good uh, yeah enough now, you left school in the early 90s and read English literature and history at Staffordshire University and then became a council tax recovery officer yeah. How did you go from uh, in reading English Lit and History to becoming a council tax recovery officer? I can't even understand why you're asking that question. because It's such a natural progression. <laughs> um, no, um, 
I, it was it, so so my my early life when I left school was a little bit random to say the least. Um, I I I was supposed to be going to um, Aberystwyth University. That was my first choice. I didn't get my grades. Um, but I did get an interview to, this is the ironic thing, right? I got an interview with Aberystwyth University to go and study theology there, which would have been a much better fit for me. Yeah. But um, I was also put into the clearing system and Staffordshire University came up as, um, as, as an English literature and history humanities degree it was. Um, so I had I had a, a good enough grades just to slip straight into that. I didn't have to go for an interview. So two things: I didn't really fancy going on a, an interview, and secondly, um, I I heard that Staffordshire University wasn't that far from like Birmingham and big places like that, and I'd never really experienced those kind of big places. So I just thought, do you know what? I'll go there, um, and so. I went there and I, I did English um, lit and history for three years. I, I put everything I got into it, came out with a 2-2. That was absolutely yep. fine. Um, and um, and then I, I the natural progression for me was to go and do a PGCE. You know, the, the yes, qualification from a teacher. Yep. So, I went, so I went to Keele University and I had a horrific, horrific interview with them. They, they were asking me all sorts of questions and they scared the life out of me about teaching. I just thought, I'm going to have a horrible life if I become a teacher. And I'd look back on my days in Bedwell Comp and I just thought, yeah, actually, do you know what? Uh, I'm not sure I do want that. So I chose not to become a teacher at that time. It was the right decision in the end. Um, uh, but then obviously I needed to find a job. I was coming yes. out of university and I lived yeah. with a guy at that time. He was, uh, this is how random my life gets. He was actually a lumberjack in the middle of the of, of um, like um, Stoke-on-Trent. But anyway, he was a, he worked for the Forestry Commission and he literally said to me, when you get offered a job, whatever that job is, you take it. You have to. That's the way this goes. And the first job I got offered was council tax recovery officer. <laughs> well, I, I said the same advice to my boys in a sense. You know, once you, it's that first job, I call it a peg in the sand. Yeah. Once you've got a peg in the sand, you know, it's easy to get another job when you've got a job um, to start with. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. I, and I didn't I didn't get a very good reputation as a council tax officer because what would happen is I was like the, the last uh, man before you went to court for the yes. for, for debt. So you were letting um, everybody off, were you? <laughs> well, not far off that, to be fair. I'd end up with these ladies coming in, single mothers. They were pushing their prams in, and yeah. they would tell me their story. And my heart would break. My yeah. heart would break. And I'd come back into the office, and I'd say, how did you get on? And they'd like be about four, five, six hundred pounds in debt or whatever. Yes. Thousands yes. of pounds in debt sometimes. It's all right. I've, I've done a deal with them. They're going to pay you five pounds a week. Yes. And in the end, it's like, you, you're, you're just no good at this job. You're no. not ruthless enough. Yeah. But I couldn't be to no, be they were, they were genuinely struggling. No. I don't buy into this. People don't no. want to pay it. They couldn't afford to. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Now, you, were, you, um, you also worked for a local educational authority in tech support. And then you became an employee of Thornhill Church in Cardiff. Mm. Why the move to Thornhill? How did that come about? So we, um, one of the things when I got, uh, when I first got married, um, I said to, to my wife, um, you know, that there are not many demands that I'm going to place on, on 
on life, but one one is that we're going back to the valleys. If you marry me, you have to be willing to go back and live in South Wales. So at that point, as a proper South Walian homeboy, um, uh, the whole thing of, you know, you can take the boy out of the valleys, but you can't take the valleys out of the boy and, and that lot. So we moved down to South Wales. I took on a job with Caffili County Brother Council, and I was um, tech support for, ironically, for schools. So I'd go in and out of schools and help sort all the IT problems that they, they might have. Um, but we joined a church called Thornhill Church. That time was in North Cardiff. So it's just, you go, you, you go to Caffili over the mountain, drop into Cardiff, and, and literally the first place you hit is, is Thornhill. And I, we, were, we were members there. And a great guy, he's pastor of the church at the time called Paul Hawkin. He started to see in me um, the, um, ju just um, some, some gifting, some, uh, some stuff in my life, which, you, you know, you, actually you, have you considered um, coming into full-time Christian ministry, for want of a better phrase? Um, so we, uh, we journeyed together. We were in a men's group together. Um, he mentored me. He fathered me in many ways and then um, gave me the opportunity to join the leadership team. It was a, a church that ran a social enterprise company at the same time. So I had a coffee shop, a children's nursery, hire rooms and all sorts of stuff like that so that it could be connected into the community. And he invited me in initially to, to, uh, to run all of that stuff, to, to have oversight of all of that during the week. And, um, but then also to be a bit of a community pastor in terms of evangelism, reaching out and, uh, and, and ensuring the church had an outward looking face as well. So yeah. that, was, that was the journey. Yeah, fantastic. And, and obviously towards the end of your time there, uh, you decided to take this a little bit stage further by doing a diploma in missional leadership. I did. Um, what did you learn that was important to remember from that about missional leadership? So it was a two year, well, it was a three year course. I could have walked away with a master's, but um, um, I, I didn't do the third year uh, and there were family reasons for that. So I came away with the, the postgraduate diploma um, and it was two years of having my whole idea of what theology, what ecclesiology uh, was all about, really. What, what, what is the church there for? And, and, and what, what should we be doing with, um, with everything that we believe and stand for? So I'd come from a very... Um, reformed evangelical background i've grown up in in that in a in a world that uh, broadly came under the umbrella of the evangelical movement of wales so i i held very um very strongly at that point to doctrine to biblical um um integrity and and, and holding on to make you know just ensuring every you you crossed your your t's and you dotted your i's and that that missional leadership made me think through what is that all about? And that question about what is the gospel supposed to do? If, if the gospel is true and if the gospel is real, what is it supposed to be doing? And, and it's supposed to be um, reaching a world thoroughly broken. Um, and it's, it's supposed to be helping us to get our heads and our hearts right and to be back in relationship with Jesus and, and actually putting a meal in front of people and, journey with people sometimes helping them do their cv 
helping them with cap visits and stuff like that is as important as sharing the gospel and explaining the gospel. And so it helped me think all of that through. And I came out of that course very much as a guy who, who believed that Jesus is central to absolutely everything. The gospel is, is thoroughly important. And, and I never want to lose sight of how important the Bible is in terms of being the bedrock of everything. But if I'm not the hands and feet of Jesus at the same time, then really it, it, it all counts for nothing. And, and it was that two years that, that helped shape my new, my new dogma, if you like, but it yes. was a much practical dogma. Yeah, living, living out what the actual Bible was saying. Rather yeah, than just, absolutely. Yeah, rather than just taking it in intellectually, actually living it out, be, being Jesus to others. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Now, you got involved with Christian Vision for Men in 2011. Yeah. And became the national director uh, for CVM for Wales in 2016. Yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work with CVM, uh, your role, and a little bit about how you go about reaching men for Christ. Um, and is that easy? Is that difficult? What are the struggles? So, yeah. Okay, so so um, as the um, the director for CVM here in Wales, uh, my task is literally I'm in my car a lot now. Now that we're up post COVID, especially back in the car, back visiting uh, uh, church leaders, uh, and, and essentially um, there's two there's two strings to to our bow in a sense. Um, Firstly, and, and I, I think most, most importantly, we're an evangelistic movement of men. So our raison d'etre, if you like, is to get the gospel to uh, every man across, um, across the whole of the UK, really. But so my responsibility is here in Wales. Um, so that's the first thing, evangelists and men. The second part is to engage the church in this process, because what we are passionate about is that when guys come to faith when they give their hearts to jesus when they choose to follow him for the rest of their life what we want them to do is be uh, grounded embedded in good churches that are going to help them on that discipleship journey that are going to help them to discover all that god has for them in their lives going forward and so for me um, i'm i'm busying myself around the whole of wales um, encouraging churches to set up good men's ministries men's outreach ministries that are focused on um, the guys who are outside the church, not just on doing um, Bible studies with the guys that are in church, although that is critically important as well. But how can we have churches and, and, and the men in churches completely equipped to reach their mates for Jesus? Um, and then, then we can begin to chip away at the 95% here in Wales that are not coming anywhere near the church. But... Um, my role is to convince the church that, you know, like we had a barbecue on the beach on Friday night and we had nearly 40 guys come into that barbecue, many of whom are not in the church, many of whom are mates of people that are in the church. We're not going to reach those guys by just putting on another service, another preaching service. We need to be doing things differently. And, uh, and so that's what that's what I'm all about, really. That is fantastic. That is brilliant. Brilliant. Well, good on you. Good on you for that. Now, we all face challenges uh, from time to time in our lives when we ask um, the why questions. Mm. 
and I understand that you've had a few why questions recently. What's brought this on? Um, so, Kat, first thing I want to say is the why question is not um, is, is not essentially essentially um, doubting God for me. It's not it's not been that in that place, um, but it has been about um, asking God why, when I ask Him to do something very specifically, would He not do that? Um, and I'll explain what that, what brought that on for me. My son, you mentioned him in the intro, Kieran. Yeah. Great little boy. He's nine years old. Yeah. Um, he is. Uh, he has additional needs. Um, he has something called Rubenstein-Tavy syndrome, which nobody has ever heard of. So anyone listening to this thinking, what on earth is that? Don't worry about it. Nobody's heard of it. It's basically, he has low muscle tone globally. So that means his walking is hard. His gripping is, is hard. Everything about life is hard for him. But he, his swallowing is hard. All the internal muscles, all low tone. has hypermobility. But he also has global developmental delays. So although he's nine years old, when it comes to bedtime now tonight, it's like putting a three-year-old to bed. So that's that's where that's where he's at. Now he had an important operation, and it was a it was a a, a um, not a life-saving operation right now. But if it didn't go well, it could become that at a later date in his life. And uh, I, I did all around. You, you know what it's like, don't you, when you're part of a Christian community? You, you contact everyone. You just say, can you pray for Kieran? He's got this operation coming up. Yep. It's three years delayed because of COVID. Yes, but, goodness um, me. But yeah, he's got this operation now. Praise the Lord, it's happening. Can you pray? And can you pray specifically for this to become the outcome? He goes into the operation and they say to us, uh, uh, you know, so as parents, as the, the surgeon says to us, it's going to be two hours. He'll be in, in four hours later. He is still in there. We've not heard anything about what's going on. And I, I am a, I, I'm, I'm a papa bear, to be fair. I am properly protective over my, my son. And I'm starting to get really worked up about this. We go into the room that he's going to be in overnight and the surgeon walks in. And he says to me, he takes the mask off and takes his cap off. And he says, do I look any older than I did when I first went in there? And I thinking, I don't need to hear that. I need you to tell me what has gone on. Long and the short of it is, he said to, to me, I've been doing this routine for 19 years and I've never failed until today. Oh, my goodness me. He said, we haven't been able to do it. Uh, we've done he told me what he'd done and he and he said this should be enough to get your boy through into puberty and we'll we'll review it on an annual basis going forward oh my goodness me so then my wife and the surgeon go down to the recovery room to get Kieran to bring him up to the room and I'm sat in this room all on my own just having heard that and I burst into tears yeah, of I, you know, I burst into tears. And yeah. Fortunately, and this is a God moment, isn't it? That one of the closest members of the team, CVM Cymru team, rang me at that moment and said, how are you doing? And I, I tried to tell him it was, it was like an epic, an epic car crash of a conversation because I couldn't get my words out and all sorts of stuff like that. And he prayed with me at that moment. 
And uh, Kieran came back up. And, and at that moment in time, you kind of almost, you don't forget what's happened, but your, your focus is entirely on your son at that point, isn't it? And so you're parking how you're feeling because you're there for your boy. But it was a couple of days later, about three, two or three days later, um, I live right on the coast. And so I drove down to the front. I said to my wife, I need to go down and spend some time with God because I am just like, my head is all over the place now. I don't yes. know what's going on. Yes. And I, I sat on the side of the beach. We've got rocks over there. And I was sat on one of the rocks there. And I just said, God, I have no idea what's going on here. I, I prayed. I prayed that you would, you would um, do that you would bring Kieran through this operation you would do this that and yeah I was really specific and not only was I really specific but I actually got a, a lot of other Christians to pray along with me we told you exactly what it was and you didn't do it and I don't know what to do with that I don't know I don't know what that means I don't know how to handle that and and I don't even know what the future of my son is now and I what on earth was going on and I sat there and I felt the spirit just speaking into my heart in that moment. And it was, like, it was almost like I was sat on a rock. I felt like I was sat on God's knee at the time. I felt like a little boy sat on his knee. And I was, I was yelling out the, that why question. What on earth were you thinking, God? And, uh, and he said, not audibly, but, but, but I was very aware that this is what God was saying. Son, I can't do any more than the very best that I do for you and for your boy. So I, can't, I, I have done what I have done, you will see, is the absolute best that could have been done for him. And it didn't matter whether you prayed for me to do the best for him or whether you got the whole world to pray for me to do the best for him I would never have done anything less than the very best mm. and he said to me you will know very soon that this is true a couple of days later I walked into a coffee shop and I was meeting up with a pastor and he was there with another elder from his church and the other elder from the church said to me he said are you okay oh, I said I've had a I've had a really tough few days mm. um he said, I don't know why I need to say this to you, but God has told me to tell you everything is going to be all right. So, oh. so the, the, the reality on that conversation was that, like, literally, um, God was saying to me, it doesn't matter whether you pray to tell me what needs to be done. I'm going to do the very best anyway. So I went one step further on that because I'm a very inquisitive guy. And I said, Lord, if that's the case, what is prayer all about? And he says about this. I want to hang out with you. I want, I want us to talk. I want us to have um, intimacy together. That's what prayer is about. It's not about you changing what I'm going to do. It's not about you convincing me to do the very best for you, because I'm going to do that anyway. This is about our relationship. And it completely transformed um, how I how I started to look at how, how I looked at prayer from then on, because it was like, literally, let's pray, let's push into prayer, let's be specific. I was brought up with it. The more specifically you pray, the more specifically God answers. And 
I, I guess there's some truth in that, in terms, but at least you can see the answers. The more specifically you pray, the more clearly you see the answers. Mm. But actually, we don't turn the hand of God for good towards us. He's always going to do good for us. He's always going to do the very best. But actually, we pray because he wants relationship with us and we should want relationship with him. It is the perfect father-son, dad-son scenario. And it took God taking me through that horrible few days with my little boy for me mm. to ever understand that. Goodness me. Goodness me. I don't... Gosh. What an experience. What an experience. And how, how is your lad today? Well, my boy has no idea. He has no idea that, uh, what he went through in that operation. He has no idea what the future holds. Praise, praise God for that, because he gets to enjoy his life. Yeah. Um, we, we will need to go every year and get a checkup. But you yep. know what? I, I think the checkups are only ever going to confirm that he's going to be okay, that everything mm. is okay. Wow. And I have no doubt about that. I, I can't, can't explain to you that I have absolutely no doubt mm. that that's the case because, uh, you know, God, God told me that mm. you are going to know that what I'm saying to you is, is, is true. Um, and he confirmed it two yeah. days later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. How amazing is that? Isn't that amazing? Somebody came up to you and said that word. I mean, yeah, goodness me. And it was specifically for Kieran, because when I pushed into it, uh, he said, no, no, this is specifically, this is specifically about Kieran. Really? Yeah. So oh. we, we, yeah. we have a good, good God. Oh, oh. Now, I understand you love the Welsh language. I do. Um, I have to say, um, I am a, um, so I'm not a first language Welsh speaker, didn't grow up in that part of Wales, um, but I am a, um, an adult learner of the language and I am very, very passionate about it and our culture. Um, now, and just, has, just, I understand you love wild swimming, okay? I do well. love wild swimming, now, yeah. can, can you say something about wild swimming in Welsh for us? Yeah, I can. So, Dwin Munhai, Novio Anamor, Boboisnos, Dwin Gavarvod Eva, for friend Chris Arkell, Anabora, Dwin Novio Anamor. Yeah, so. Okay, so what, what were you saying there? So basically, um, I love, uh, I, I enjoy um, swimming in the sea. Um, <laughs> and every week I meet up with my, uh, my good friend, Chris Arkell, and we swim together. <clears throat> I think you're mad. I think you're totally mad. My wife, Molly, um, her parents used to take her to Northwest Wales every summer. Yeah. And she went swimming in the sea. Yeah, yeah. It's got healing summer. qualities. It was a beautiful beach. I forget the name of the beach now, uh, but it's off, it's west of Snowdon. And last September, uh, we went to Wales uh, for a week. And she said, I'm taking you back to the beach where I used to swim as a girl. And I said, I haven't got a wetsuit. She said, you don't need a wetsuit. <laughs> oh, 
I said, you're joking. She said, no, 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 come with me. So we actually had our bikes and we, we, we cycled down to the beach and she started, you know, taking her stuff off to put her swimmers on. And I thought, I've got no choice here. My wife is showing me up. And she strode across this very wide beach and sort of face planted into the sea. I thought, oh, no, this is, you know, I'm a fair weather swimmer. And uh, I had no choice. So I went in and uh, for the first minute, it was flipping cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but actually, after that, it, it's quite nice. It is because there's a, there's a warm front that comes through on the on the sea around North Wales. It's, it's a lot different on the west coast. I think the west coast is a bit rougher and a bit colder, to be fair. But um, I don't know why that is. Um, but um, it, here's the thing: uh, just from uh, from my mental health, yeah. uh, physical health. Uh, I mean, it's it's just absolutely it, it's scientifically proven now that that wild swimming is just such a good thing uh, for us. I heard a story um uh not um uh that long ago and this is from a lady who's uh, a lovely christian lady actually and she was diagnosed with cancer and um she was given i can't i don't know how long she was given to live but it was it was terminal um and um she took up wild swimming um as as one of the things that was was on her bucket list yep and she had done it for about six months she went back to her um consultant they did all the tests. Obviously, she had lots of people praying for her as well. Um, yep. And she had uh, she had the God who we've just been talking about, who never does anything other than the best for us. Yeah. Um, but she no longer had cancer. And um, the surgeon um, said, I understand all of the, the, the fact that you, you know, you've had, you're a Christian, you've had people praying for you. He said, but I am intrigued by the wild swimming thing because we are hearing stories from around the world that uh, illnesses are being um, are being reversed or cured uh, through people swimming, um, not only in the sea, but you know here we've got fins, which are lakes um, all over the place. Yeah. Um, they're um, they're great places to go. Good for your mental health, good for your physical health, and uh, I think for spiritual uh, and sense of well being, it's wow. just very good. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. I've got some very good friends, Richard and Joe Fothergill, who set up the Filling Station Network. And Joe goes while swimming. Oh, yes. they, she goes while swimming in the lakes a lot. Um, yeah. wow, wow, wow. Now, I'd like to turn to the word of God, if I may. Uh, yeah. The, you know, this is the Bible and Me podcast. Um, yeah. Why is the word of God important to you? So here's the thing. It's, growing up, the word of God was the very central thing. I mean, it was like literally. Um, so my father said to me when I first went off to university, he said, the first thing you do is you put your Bible on your bedside table um, when you move into your digs and set that set that, that that place up as an altar to the Lord. And just you 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 stay with it. You And if you do that from day one then you will maintain it through your entire, you know, you know, your, your entire yeah. life. And um, so, so for us, uh, we would forensically study the Bible in our uh, growing up. And it was really, really important. I think um, we, we got a little bit hung up on what we believed and having the right interpretation. And, uh, and, and if you didn't have that interpretation, well, maybe well not maybe you were wrong so I think that there, there's I've shifted in in terms of that in in the sense of uh, for me the bible is 
it, it is a tactical guide um, for life. It really is. It's, it's the place where we can go and we can we can learn about every, we can learn everything we need in this life about God as our Father. Um, we it's got the wisdom in it to make the right decisions at every point in our lives. It is. Um, I believe it's infallible. I believe it's spirit breathed. Uh, I believe it's 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 the bedrock of absolutely everything for our life. And here's the thing. My personal experience is this. I cannot keep my head and my heart in a good place unless I spend time daily in the word of God. It's, it's mm. that critical to my whole life. Wow. 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 Praise God for that. Praise God for that. How do you actually study it? I mean, so, I'm guessing you do speaking engagements and stuff and you know yeah um here's the thing there, there are multiple approaches to the bible yes. aren't there yes um there is there is that approach to the bible so if, if i'm if i'm doing a speak if i'm preaching if i'm uh if i'm doing a men's event um because everything that we do is is birthed out of uh of scripture um I will study it very, very differently. I will study it. That's where I really study it forensically. That's where <laughs> I want to. I want to hear different uh, viewpoints. I, I and, and I'll read around it. And I'll, you know, um, Paul Hawkin, who I told you brought yeah. me into ministry in the first place. Uh, he taught me at uh, very, uh, very early on in in ministry. Uh, you read that. You read the passage of scripture that you're going to preach on thirty times before you begin to study it yeah so um so i read it read it read it read it and then i you know i, I scribble and I, I you know Brilliant. all that sort of stuff and then i hear what other people need to say at once i said about it and that's where i begin to say well that's where the spirit is breathing yeah. because yeah we're all believing that one you know so so that yeah. you've got that and then you've got the um the, the um the reading it as uh, i i I know I'm a men's evangelist now, but I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. I read it as a love letter. Um, I read it as um, uh, as God's love letter to to us. Um, yeah. Yeah. And at that point, I don't want to look at it forensically. I just want to read it and I want to bask in it. It's like yeah. that's like the wild swimming moment. It's just, yeah. Let's jump into it. Let's just swim around. Let's feel yeah. the let's feel the waves of the spirit just coming over me. And uh, and so there are times where I'll just um early in the morning just just sit there with it and I'll, i might read a verse i might read a passage but then i'll just yeah. i'll just drift off and i'll yeah, just let that that just um yeah walk over me so fabulous fabulous i mean you talked about it's interesting you your your phrase about forensically yeah yeah and it does it does to something that well yeah i mean I was going to ask you, have you heard of the, the inductive study method? Because it sounds as though what you're talking about, studying it forensically, sounds pretty similar, really. Yeah, I think I, 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 th I had to look up the when you sent the question through, I did have to look up what that phrase actually meant because I hadn't I hadn't really encountered inductive uh, as, yeah. as a term. Okay. So I, I looked that up and actually, yes, that's how that is how I how I approach scripture yeah. when. Um, I'm either doing it as part of a Bible study or if I'm, or if I'm preaching on it. Um, that that yeah, yeah. idea of, of right, what, what, what was the original meaning of this? What, yeah. what, how does it apply to us in, in, in the way that we live our lives now and, and doing it much more investigatively? Yes, 
Yes. Yeah. So I totally, I totally get that and, and embrace that way of approaching scripture. Yeah, wonderful. It's yeah. a phenomenal way of, and, and, and to be fair, from a, from a men's point of view, because I'm always thinking about how, yeah. how we as men approach um, scripture, um, inductive, the inductive approach is, is a, um, an incredibly useful way for men because we are, we are forensic. We, we, we want to pull it apart. We want to, want to sometimes prove it wrong and that's not a bad thing sometimes when we approach oh. it because we'll never ever prove it wrong i'd guarantee you that we'll amen 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 yeah i think what we mean by inductive is going to the bible first rather than a commentary yeah. first yeah we want to carefully observe the text ourselves and we can do that by asking questions you know looking for who's it about you know just asking questions of the text yeah um marking words we teach people how to mark words and list what they're learning you know um and then we can interpret it in its proper context and then we can seek to live it out so observing interpreting and applying the scripture really and as i said it's it's a so it's, it's been around for years the inductive method and, and precept obviously the ministry that we're involved with is 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 was raised up by god 50 odd years ago sure. to do exactly that um to equip people to to really get into the word of god for themselves so that's great do you have a favorite book or character so um i um my my favorite book uh, in the bible uh, and and is is fairly uh, in some ways it's quite cliche but very obvious is the book of psalms i love i love the psalms every there's a psalm for every situation in life yeah. there's yeah. For everything that we go through yeah. um, I, I was thinking about you when you were sitting on the rock crying out to god at that yeah. moment i'm thinking you know yeah, it, you it, is, it is very much um i i am well versed in the psalms um so uh psalm 139 is 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 one of my go-to psalms on a daily basis that whole search me know me reveal to me the stuff that you you need to deal with in me lord uh, places you want to work in my life yeah and so that that's that's very much and particularly when I feel the need um, to go into some deep confession and repentance mm -hmm. um, Psalm 139 is, a, is an incredibly um, helpful useful chapter for would that me. be would that be does your favorite Bible verse come from that um, chapter in the Bible or do you have another one do you know, I, I, so my favourite verse, purely on the basis that I use it so much, is the, the search me, know me, uh, and reveal to me um, whatever you need to reveal to me. And here's the reason why, okay? When I first got married, I was blown away by the fact that um, Joanne, my wife, would know me as well as she knew me, and she would still love me. Uh, trust me, that is a big... <laughs> She's a big woman for that, I tell you. Um, but here's the thing, right? The sovereign God of the universe, all-powerful, flung stars into space, brings the tide in and out every day. I see the beauty of creation here all around me. It is powerful. It's phenomenal. And it's uncontrollable if you are not God. And, um, and he, he, ha he holds this place, the most elevated place in, in, in all realms. And yet, he knows me, he knows the inner workings of my heart, he knows what I think, and he knows when I'm going to mess up, and trust me, I've failed more than I've succeeded. It's only his grace that's pulled me through. Um, yet, he still wants to be my dad. He still wants me to sit on his lap. He still wants me 
to trust him with every situation. He still wants to do the very, very best for me and for all that I hold dear. So, um, so that, that whole idea of saying to sovereign God of the universe, search me and know me and reveal to me, and I can do that and be safe when mm. he, could just he could just click his fingers and then I'd be gone mm. if he saw anything that he hated. He yeah. sees stuff that he hates within me. He doesn't hate me, but he sees stuff in me and he can't look on it, but he still loves me. Yeah. It's all because of Jesus, obviously. But, you know, it's like that literally that verse provides me with so much security that is just totally unwaverable. Yeah. Psalm 139 verses one and two. Those listening, you may want to look that up. Uh, wonderful, wonderful verse. How can we pray for you, John? Obviously, your son, Kieran, could be remembering him in our prayers. Yeah, and, and you know, um, I think um, for, for us as a family that we would, uh, we, we would just stay true on, on, on the narrow path. Um, yeah. I, I, I think we're living um, in unprecedented times, and I've noticed more in recent times that, that the temptation is to worry, to fear, and to get anxious. And yet um, my Bible tells me um, that uh, that God is still on the throne and that He's not getting off for anyone. Um, so, so that would be that would be uh, the prayer for us as a family. But I, I just want to leave you with with um, a quote by Billy Graham. I quote it so much, but it, it really does fill me with. Uh, this is what I think the, the gospel is is all about. Um, Billy Graham once said in a, in one of his talks, um, "If your story." Um, is not going well right now and you're following Jesus this is not the end of your story I've read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to work out well in the end and I, I love that and, and, and for me I said pray that over us because actually that's we're all journeying towards that last page of the Bible aren't we and you know uh, we might worry we might fear we might be anxious but um but that last bit, page of the Bible says that it's all going to work out well. Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, John, uh, thank you so much for being on the Bible and Me podcast today. Fascinating to hear your story, how God's led you. Um, you know, each step of the way, I sense that through through your journey of faith. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and we all have trials and struggles, but but we're not alone in those trials and struggles. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? When we are actually not alone and we can cry out as you cried out to God and God is there to listen and, and bring encouragement uh, as we heard from you in the most amazing, amazing way. Um, and, you know, bless you in your work. Um, reaching men for the gospel is tough. Um, I'm trying it myself. <laughs> uh, but ultimately, it comes down to being real, doesn't it? It's, it's being real. It's developing friendships. It's um, having a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and you were with you, you were with us a couple of weeks ago at the, yeah. at the gathering. We saw 80 guys, 80 or more guys come and bow the knee yeah. at the cross. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Men's ministry is hard. It is hard because we are... Uh, don't let the world tell you that men are not complex. We're as complex as anyone else. Um, it is really, really hard to reach men. But I tell you what, it's worth every every bit that it costs us when we see those guys bowing in front of the cross. There's nothing better, is there? Amen. Amen. Well, John, bless you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having and, me. Uh, yeah, keep keep doing what 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 God's called you to do. And um, yeah, bless you.
Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Really, really appreciate it.